0: What's up, everybody? I'm David Hain. Welcome to episode 102 of the A to D from Addict to Disciple podcast. I'd like to give a big shout out to our new listeners from Algeria. That brings our total to 57 countries. Thanks so much, everybody. If you want to help us reach more people in more countries, like this podcast, subscribe, follow, and share the link with your friends. Or click on the support link in this episode's description. Your donation of any amount could change a life. When we come back, we'll get into this episode entitled Handling Your Triggers. Welcome back to episode 102 of the A to D From Addict to Disciple podcast entitled Handling Your Triggers. I want to give a big welcome to my friends in recovery from the US, South Africa, and Australia for their participation in this group. As before, I'll be keeping them anonymous, but I'll be saying their answers as if we're having a group meeting. And today, guys, I'd like to do an episode in response to questions I've been getting from listeners about how you guys handle your triggers. I believe your input will be valuable in encouraging many. So here's today's thoughts. By staying isolated, the person in recovery may think they're reinforcing their sobriety. But in reality, long-term recovery means learning to manage triggers and not to completely avoid them. Eddie, would you like to start us off today? Sure, David. My wife and family would do everything to make sure I didn't come into contact with alcohol or even talk about what I had been through. They felt that I was being overconfident by even thinking that I could handle being in that sort of company, and that given the opportunity, I would slip right back in. I, on the other hand, was so confident, confident that if Christ had brought me to this point, He was more than able to take me through and beyond whatever I was going to be facing in my new life. I never gave the devil an opportunity to lure me back. That life had died in me, and I was born again in Christ who strengthens me. So when faced with triggers, I prayed intensely inside my mind. I was fully aware that I was weak to the world So the only way to tackle the world and all its triggers was to train my mind on how to handle the battle in the spirit. And praise God, I have managed to stay clean for 14 years and still going strong. Great start, Eddie. I like that you stressed the importance of being fully aware that on our own, we are weak to the temptations of the world. Gary, how do you manage your triggers? David, I have learned not to focus on triggers as much as I do on what lays at the root of that which triggers me. Why have I created a trigger for this specific situation in the first place? Do I really know myself? I have found, and much of this, I must say, has been revealed as I've been taking... You're from Ashes to Destiny course, David. I've found that many of our triggers, if not all, have their root in a common, long held belief we harbor about ourselves. So for me, it was a case of facing something I had never confronted before regarding a belief about myself, and then asking myself if that belief was justified. If it honestly applied, and fit in with who I really was. And if it didn't fit, and in my case it didn't, I mentally rejected the existing belief. I repeatedly did that as it was a new process that I was learning, and thereby, as a result, I was consciously instilling a new belief, a more self-worthy one that reflects who I truly am and aspire to become in my new purpose-driven life. So, it's changing how I see things and consequently responding to things which ultimately impacts on my triggers, all of which over time can fall away. For me, David, it's all about the attitude we choose to adopt, that we are able to change and transform. Don't isolate, illuminate. Sure. Well spoken, Gary. And that is an excellent example for all the listeners of how we rewrite or retell our story in order to fit who we are now or who we aspire to become. And by the way, here comes a new bumper sticker for you, regular listeners. I love it. Don't isolate, illuminate. Dante, what do you think about that? David. For me, the lie of being isolated to manage sobriety is a crafty lie. And if you rely on your insecurities, you might be able to not only remain sober, but eventually fully isolated and depressed. And eventually you can no longer do what you intended to do on your own strength. For me, being with others at times can bring up a lot of my insecurities. And when living out of your insecurities and your addiction with your close, trusted friends can be a wonderful support system to help you get through your struggles. But I often stayed withdrawn from people unless I was in a manner in which I was in somewhat control of the situation. Being out of control does not feel good to an addict, and it didn't feel good to me. In fact, it would make me feel even more insecure when put in situations where I might be tempted with my addiction. But the group who I choose to surround myself with made an enormous difference in my recovery, sustainability, and healing. Running to the power of someone else instead of relying on my own power has been like a life raft In a rough sea of insecurity and temptation It kept my head above water Great insight, Dante I really like your openness in the battle of facing your insecurities And not just talking about living out your insecurities With the support of those you chose like a trusted friend But to find sustainable healing from your addictive temptations As you Live it with them and find that you can keep your head above water. Charlie, how do you manage your triggers? David, to be honest, I feel I am the trigger. My disease is one of mental illness, one of obsession. When that obsession turns to thinking of self and all I have is self-squared because I'm isolated away from support. Well, that's a dangerous place to be. I have no support to call me on my crap or to help me change the atmosphere of my misery. Then the next step is a breakdown or using or death. Personally, as I said, I am the trigger. But as long as I remember that, I'm never alone and I have the power of the living God inside me then I'm never isolated. Instead of me squared, I have my higher power to protect the trigger and get out of the pit of isolation. There will be tough times in life. Recovery is a time on the beam and off the beam for me. But like my old timer buddy Jimmy always says, this too shall pass. That's really how I manage the trigger I turn to God and His people. Thanks, Charlie. I definitely can identify with those times of feeling spot on the beam and also way off the beam. I also learned a new phrase from you today, being me-squared, meaning too self-focused. Adam, how do you handle your triggers? David, long-term sobriety calls for drastic measures. Triggers are at high alert at this point in my recovery. It's on me to identify what these triggers are and to learn how to control them. I learned that I have to tell someone that I'm triggered by some situations or even people, places, and things. If I don't tell them, then I sit on that thought and it eats at me. I had to learn even when I don't want to reach out and ask for help, I had to. Without the constant support of my friends and family, I know that I would have relapsed and given in to my addiction all over again. I can't let myself isolate. I have a sponsor and I check in with him daily to talk about my triggers and what I can do to make sure I do not relapse. I stay connected no matter how I feel. I face my triggers head on and at times with someone. You have to deal with them right away or else they turn into a monster that consumes you. Shaw. Great stuff, Adam. I think many of our listeners are at that point of learning that even when they don't want to, they have to reach out. Harry, what's your idea on this topic? David, handling triggers at the beginning of recovery can sometimes be a daunting issue. At first, I avoided them in most cases. If I knew the road that I was walking or driving on had a place that sold drugs or alcohol, I chose a different way just to avoid those places. If I saw old friends who were still in active addiction, I avoided them at all costs. I became a loner. I stayed at my room and shut off the outside world. I, honestly, I only went to AA, and church meetings. I made new friends within the church and in the recovery groups. I was too scared to be around any of the substances or the people who use them because of my own past experience. When I was offered a few times, it was hard to say no, and I relapsed. Over the years, as I grew stronger and closer to God, I was able to deal with the triggers and cravings much easier. I had to learn how to take control and resist as the alcohol and drugs will always be around me and I decided I will not be held hostage by my triggers. With a lot of prayer and effort, I now can be around those substances without temptation. And actually I have pure disgust for it to the point why I feel sorry for those who are abusing it. The things that once were my triggers are now seen as a disruptive force and I deal with it accordingly and speak to others about it and its progressive nature and its disastrous consequences. The more I speak about it, the easier it gets to brush off when I'm near it. Wow, Harry, that's a great description of the journey of transformation which includes learning to take control of those thoughts of temptation. But also, I like the way you said, the more you speak about it, the easier it gets to brush off that temptation and trigger when you're near it. Ben, would you like to close us out today? Sure, David. I love this topic. It may sound silly, but this question reminds me of something I heard about An experiment with mice. In this experiment they gave mice water laced with cocaine. The mice were kept in isolation and of course they kept going back to the cocaine water because they'd gotten addicted. Then at some point during the experiment they took all the mice and put them in a huge mouse park. It had tunnels, wheels for them to run on and all kinds of different things like that to have the mice play. And the biggest thing was they were all together in the same place. They weren't in solitary or isolation. They also put the cocaine water in there and so the mice had access to it but surprisingly none of the mice went back to the cocaine water once they were inside this big mouse park. The scientists said they believed the cure to addiction and isolation was community. I have found the same to be true for me personally. If I'm around other people, especially people who have a recovery story, and we're all actively seeking fun or joy in life apart from our addictive behavior, it almost becomes effortless at times to not worry or even think about going back to whatever my addiction was. To go a little further with it though, if you have a soft circle of people You trust deeply, and I have that circle. Then you can disclose to them the things that trigger you and allow them access to ask you the hard questions so that you can at least be completely honest about what's going on when those weak moments hit. And nine times out of ten or more, your closest circle will help strengthen you to resist that. But I must be honest, the weak moments to want to relapse are far and few and just a long distance between because the longer time marches on with the accountability that I set up and the support from just being around people who find joy in a sober living, I guess you would say I'm at the point where the cocaine water just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Shaw, Ben, love the cocaine water story and how you made it so personal. It reminded me of the old Michael Jackson song where he sings about a mouse named Ben. (laughs) Yeah, guys, thank you so much for sharing the way that you've learned to manage your triggers. I'm sure you've touched a lot of listeners with this group session today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the a to d from Addict to Disciple podcast. If you would like to join an online group or one-on-one counseling, as you might be seeking help for how you manage your own triggers, please message me on the link in this podcast or by email at David from a to d at gmail.com or go to my website, www.fromatod.org and click on the contact page. You can also keep in touch with what we're doing in From A to D by following me on Instagram, at David from A to D. Tune in Monday for our next episode, and as always, stay safe and stay strong.